0: Welcome to Trinity on Tap, the New Testament, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College, Queensland, presented by Dr. John Frederick. Well, welcome back. This is 2.1 Faith, Hope, and Love. It's time now to launch into our study of the New Testament text itself. And we're going to be reading across the New Testament, not simply in one passage or one book. And I'm hoping that as we do this, you'll gain a real sense of literacy and a real sense of familiarity with some of the key theological themes of the New Testament. So we'll be doing biblical theology together throughout the rest of this series. I've labeled this section from reasonable wretch to senseless saint, how the foolish story of Jesus puts the wisdom of the world to shame. And that will become apparent as to what it means as we go. And in this first section of the podcast, we'll begin looking at the themes of faith, hope, and love in 1 Thessalonians and across the New Testament. Beginning, though, in 1 Thessalonians, we will see that the emphasis here is on the works produced by faith, the labor produced by love, and the steadfastness that comes from hope. We'll see that the work of faith and the labor of love here actually refers to the work of ministry by which we build one another up as the body of Christ. Steadfastness, that results from hope, breaks into the present and grounds us and helps us to stand firm in Christ. Elsewhere in the New Testament, however, faith, hope, and love function to point to an eschatological salvation, and that means what happens at the end. We are justified by faith, it says in Romans 3, Galatians 3, Philippians 3, and Ephesians 2. We are sanctified by love, John 15, 1 John 3-4, 1 Corinthians 13, Philippians 2, etc. And our hope looks toward our forthcoming final salvation, 1 Corinthians 15, John chapter 6. Amazingly, The same faith, hope, and love that provides our unity in the present, secures our salvation in the future. It's not a backup plan for a failed first try. It's the fulfillment of God's covenant promises from the beginning. So let's hear the word of God as we begin exploring the significance of faith, hope, and love for theology and for life in Jesus Christ. And I invite you not to follow along with a written text unless you absolutely need to. Again, there's something about learning to sit with and just hear the Word of God that in our society that is seduced and distracted by everything under the sun. When we can just be still and listen to God's Word, there's something really powerful about that. So reflect on the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God. And I want to suggest that as I read the Word of God, this ancient text has practical significance to our contemporary faith. You know, too often, Scripture readings end abruptly with someone just walking away from the podium. So another thing I want to get used to is just saying a proclamation, maybe, after we hear the Scripture. You'll hear someone say, this is the Word of God, and the phrase that we've always used through church history to express that has been, Thanks be to God. Now, I can't do that every time we read scripture here in this series, but there's something really powerful about acknowledging that in a church service. When the scripture reading is concluded and someone says, this is the word of the Lord, and everyone there says, thanks be to God. It helps us remember that, you know, we don't just receive this word and just walk off the podium, but this is something that's fundamentally speaking to us and changing our lives. So hear that word of God. From 1 Thessalonians, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to you all, and we mention you in our prayers constantly, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Faith, hope, and love. You might recognize these from that famous biblical passage, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Uh, It's a passage that's often read at weddings. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. Most people hear that at a ceremony and then think, all right. All right. Very nice. Let's, uh, let's move things along now, Reverend. Uh, you've said your little piece. This thing's sort of dragging on. I've got a hunger. Okay? A hunger, I tell you. And plus, I hear that the reception afterwards is going to have an open bar. So let's do the marriage. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Because of the connection of that verse with weddings, when we hear about faith, hope, and love, we often think of romantic love. And how wonderful it is that this couple is so in love and that they found the one, and the whole, you know, Disney fairy tale narrative that we like to believe as a society about the nature of romantic love. But anyone who's been married for any significant amount of time knows that the fairy tale romance version of love is totally a sham, right? Love is more like a beautiful, but challenging long obedience in the same direction than it is this endless bliss portrayed by Hollywood film. The truth is, love really is a foretaste of heaven. It completes us as human beings. It's true. But love often feels like a perseverance that is forged in the very fires of a type of hell rather than in the fluffy platitudes of a card from Hallmark. True love biblical love, the kind of love that Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians. It's about resilience rather than romance. It's about sacrifice, not sensuality. When the Bible talks about love, about faith, about hope, it's offering us a picture of the divine DNA, the very character of God himself, a character that is being formed in us as we walk with him as his sons and daughters, as recipients of his faith and hope and love, and as those who then go on to imitate that same faith, that same hope, and that same love. Now, as will be our custom in this series, I want to look briefly at how faith, hope, and love function in the immediate context of First Thessalonians 1, and then to see how it functions in the epistle as a whole and then to read about faith, hope, and love across the New Testament. And this is going to help us see how the New Testament speaks in different ways and in different contexts, but with great coherence about the function of faith, hope, and love in the Christian life. First, in this immediate context, it's helpful to know just a bit about the original language. Now, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and so... Of course, it has to be translated to English for English speakers and for English readers. And the NRSV translation, which is the one I read before, does a fine job of offering a good translation. Yet, if you read biblical commentaries on the letter to the Thessalonians, or if you happen to know the original language, you'll find that the phrases, the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope, should really more accurately be translated, the work produced by faith, the labor produced by love, and the steadfastness produced by hope. Faith, hope, and love produce these things. Now, if you are a casual reader of the Bible, or a newbie to the faith, you might ask, what does this have to do with me? This is way too dense. You've got to make it light easy for me. Reading the Bible should be easy, not so involved. I'll show you why it matters. But first, let me ask you this. Why should the Bible be easy to master and understand? Why should the quest for spiritual growth be carried out in baby-sized tidbits perpetually for all except professional theologians? I think that this is actually insulting to the intelligence, and to the inquisitiveness of the average reader of the biblical text. Why should it be the case that every other discipline requires effort, diligence, endless patience, and even physical pain, but the Bible is supposed to be fun and laid-back, choose-your-own-adventure sort of experience? We shouldn't lead people to believe that gaining a high proficiency on the guitar or gaining a high proficiency in martial arts or sport is a difficult and time-consuming endeavor. But on the other hand, Christian spirituality, come on! The Bible, come on! These are tasks that are perfectly suited for intellectual slugs. Here's the truth. A Christianity that celebrates laziness and surface-level study is a Christianity that requires no real commitment. And that is a Christianity that is not worth your time. It's just not. It's not worth getting up on for a Sunday morning, and it certainly is not worth devoting your life to. If every other aspect of your life requires harder work than your Christian walk, you probably missed the part in Luke 9, 23 to 24, where Jesus says, if you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. So a key takeaway here, key takeaway, is that discipline and depth in biblical study does not equal spiritual dryness. Rather, it is the recipe for building spiritual muscle and spiritual maturity. Don't pursue a version of Christianity that requires nothing of you. Pursue a version that requires everything of you, and then proceed to give everything that you are to it. Otherwise, just go and read some fortune cookies or play some video games, because it would be a more fruitful endeavor than a lukewarm pursuit of Jesus Christ. Back to the point. Translating the passage, the work produced by faith, and the labor produced by love, and the steadfastness produced by hope. This actually shows us that in 1 Thessalonians, faith, hope, and love are not just nice Christian platitudes. They are transformational realities that change our lives in the present. Faith and love cause us to work for the purposes of the gospel in our present contexts. Faith and love don't lead to spiritual lethargy Or laziness. They lead to empowered activities that make the gospel present in our lives, in our communities, and in the world. And if we read a bit further into 1 Thessalonians, say in chapter 5, 12 through 13, we see that the same words for labor and for work, these are used in reference to the ministerial work of the leaders and members of the church. When we read further across the New Testament, we find that works and labor likewise refer often to the work of ministry that we do. If we continue reading across the New Testament even more to explore the role of faith and love elsewhere in the New Testament, we see faith and love not only produce works of ministry that transform individuals and communities, Faith and love make salvation itself a present reality. Consider, for example, Ephesians two, eight through ten, which tells us that we have been saved by grace through faith, and not by works, but through a salvation that is entirely the gift of God. Or consider Romans three, twenty-one through thirty-one, Galatians two, fifteen to twenty-one, Philippians three all of which tell us that we are justified or counted righteous in God's sight in the present and for all eternity on the basis of Jesus' faithfulness on our behalf, which we access through our faith in Him rather than any work or any merit of our own. But lest one think that this salvation, this justification through faith and not through works, uh, is meant to result in lax morals or ethical laziness, just turn to Galatians 5 6, where Paul reminds us that our faith is working through love. And that text has a parallel in another New Testament text, James chapter 2, where we learn that faith apart from works is dead, verse 26, and that our faith is active through a life of works through love and charity, verse 22. And furthermore, that our faith is completed, he says. And in Greek, it even means our faith is perfected by our works of love. In Philippians 2, 12 through 13, Paul, who has already told us they were not saved by works, then proceeds to tell us to work out our salvation. And he says to do it with fear and trembling. Because it is God who works in us, empowering us, as Colossians 1.29 says. It's God's own sanctifying energy with which he powerfully works within us. Although it might seem like I'm just throwing loads of verses at you, all of this can be easily discovered through the parallels that you could find in a study Bible or by looking at a concordance of the New Testament on love and faith and hope, and seeing how those play out in the whole New Testament, and even through the whole Bible. So you see, by reading across the New Testament, tying in the Gospels, tying in the Old Testament even, we could go on for days with this. But come on, what do you think? This is a game of cricket or something? Now listen, see, this is a podcast, say. I don't have that luxury, say. By reading in the passage, in its immediate context, we discovered that faith and hope and love Do not leave us to be lazy, passive recipients of salvation, but actually produce in us labor and work, labor and work that is gospel ministry, that is meant to change our lives, it's meant to change the lives of those around us. But by taking these concepts beyond Thessalonians, that is, by reading across the New Testament, we started to get a taste of biblical theology in regard to faith, hope, and love. Not only did we find that faith, hope, and love produce the steadfast work of ministry in the present, they produce the reality of salvation in the present and in the future. Salvation is by faith, not by works. But salvation is perfected by the works of love that God prepared in advance that we may walk in them, Ephesians 2. And in all of this, We exist in the steadfastness that comes from the hope of the gospel. And look, hope in 1 Thessalonians isn't merely about our wishes for the future. Our hope in God's salvation in the future causes us to be steadfast by faith in the present. When tragedy strikes, when disaster momentarily steals our joy and steals our peace, we can stand firm in our faith. Not because we ourselves are so strong and so reliable, but because our steadfastness comes from a God who is strong and victorious on our behalf, even when we are not. You know, learning to read like this takes time, but be encouraged. It doesn't require a PhD, but merely perseverance. And the best part is that as you read theologically, reading scripture in light of scripture, you not only learn about the concepts of faith, hope, and love, you are fundamentally transformed by them because the work that you're doing, it's not pious, busy work, but it's an Olympic spiritual training empowered by the Spirit of God. And so this week, as you prepare, have a look in a concordance to see how the concepts of love and faithfulness relate to God's covenant with Israel in the Old Testament. The theology of faith, hope, and love that you began here, it's going to continue to be strengthened and enriched by the biblical witness to the covenant faithfulness of God. So have a look in the concordance this week and see what you find as the coherence of the Bible becomes even more clear and powerful and beautiful for you. Have a great week. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.